0: What do you confess when you say he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? The eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took upon himself true human nature from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary through the working of the Holy Spirit. Thus he is also the true seed of David, and like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin, What benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? He is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sight of God my sin, in which I was conceived and born. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, In our catechism preaching, we are dealing with the second section of the Apostles' Creed. The section dealing with God the Son and our redemption. Over the past month or so, we've focused our attention on the names given to God's Son. We call him Jesus because he is our Savior who saves us from all our sins. We call him Christ because he is the anointed one of God to serve as our Redeemer We call him the only begotten Son of God because he himself is true and eternal God. We call him our Lord because he has ransomed us from our sins with his precious blood and he has freed us from the power of the devil to make us his own possession. In the coming weeks, our attention will shift from the names of our Savior to his works. The works that Christ has done To accomplish our salvation can be divided into two parts. Our confession first speaks about his humiliation. And then about his exaltation. Christ's humbling involved these steps. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Was crucified, dead, and buried. Yet God... Highly exalted him for accomplishing our salvation. Jesus rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. In the coming months, we'll focus our attention on these wondrous works of Christ our Savior. Today we begin with Christ's humiliation. What we need to understand is that what we need to understand is Christ's glorious position before he came into this world. He was with the Father in heaven. He dwelt there in majesty and glory. The angels were subject to him. He continually received their praise and adoration. Yet when Christ came in human flesh, he came as a servant. He laid down his heavenly majesty and glory to take part in the flesh and blood of man. He took on a position lower than that of the angels. Jesus was born in an animal stall. He was laid in a manger. He went from this very high position to a very low one. It's what we call his humiliation. The first step in Christ's humbling is his conception and birth. In Lord's Day 14, we confess what we believe when we say that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. This Lord's Day speaks about how the Son of God became man. Speaks about how our Lord Jesus Christ took on a human nature. And yet the focus of this Lord's Day is on why Christ did this. He assumed our flesh and blood for our benefit by becoming man Christ was able to pay for our sins. He came fit for service to make us fit for service. So I preached to you God's word under the following theme. Christ came in the flesh as our mediator to cover our sins with his perfect sacrifice. We'll see how Christ was made like us so that we would be like him, In Lord's Day 14, we confess how Jesus came into this world. Jesus was not born in the normal way, through the union of a husband and wife. As part of the Apostles' Creed, we confess that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. This is not something that we can explain. It is beyond our comprehension, but we believe it. Because this is what the Word of God teaches us. Matthew writes about the birth of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 1. He says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. For those who doubt, Matthew later adds that Joseph took Mary home as his wife but did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. So we see that God performed a great miracle in sending his son into this world. We believe in the virgin birth, because the scriptures witness that this is how Jesus was born. But why was this miracle necessary? Why couldn't the Lord Jesus have been born just as we are? The reason for this is, is that we're all conceived and born in sin. The fall into sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, has caused mankind to be corrupted. This corruption is passed on from one generation to the next. It's a corruption that affects the entire nature of man. It affects even infants in their mother's wombs. No one that is conceived of a human father and mother, is free from the stain of sin. And so the Lord Jesus needed to be born in a miraculous way. Otherwise, just like us, he would have been polluted with sin. Then it would have been impossible for him to serve as our mediator. Christ came into the flesh in a special way to avoid the stain of sin. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, The power of God Most High came upon Mary, and he caused her to conceive God's Son in her womb. What this means is that God, the Son, who was in heaven, came down to this earth and took upon himself a true human nature. He took on the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary. He became just as much a human being as you and me. And the writer of Hebrews emphasizes this point in Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, the verses 10 to 13, tell us two great things about Jesus Christ. He is our elder brother, and he is the author of our salvation. Verse 10 explains that as our elder brother, Christ's task on earth was to bring many sons to glory. Verse 11 makes clear our connection with Christ. It says that he and we are of the same family and that as such, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. How can we be part of God's family and have Jesus as our brother? The writer of Hebrews explains in chapter 2, verse 14. He says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Jesus became a human being, just like us. Hebrews 2.17 says that Christ had to be made like his brothers in every respect, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. You see, beloved, for Christ to serve as our mediator, he had to be human, just like us. In Lord's Day 6, we confess He must be a true man, because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which is sin should pay for sin. Our God is a fair God. He's not going to punish another creature for the sins that we as human beings committed. And so Christ needed to take on our flesh and blood. He needed to be a real human being, just like us. Yeah, this is not the only requirement for Christ to save us from our sins. Not only did he need to be a true man, he also needed to be sinless. In Lord Lord's Day 6, we confess he must be a righteous man, because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for others. The author of Hebrews shows in chapter 4, verse 15, that Christ met this requirement. He writes, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. You see, beloved Christ became a true man by being born of the flesh and blood of his mother Mary. Yet since he was not conceived through the union of sinful parents, the sin in which we're all conceived and born was not passed on to him. On the one hand, he was born out of Adam. And yet on the other hand, he's not included in the sin of Adam. His unique conception and birth make it possible for him to represent us before God. Christ came as a human being to be our mediator. who would be able to cover our sins with his perfect sacrifice. The importance of Christ's virgin birth becomes clear when we examine the way in which John the Baptist addressed the Lord Jesus. When he saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. In the Old Testament, lambs were offered to the Lord as a sin offering. One was to be sacrificed in the morning, the other in the evening. These would be the regular burnt offerings that were offered to the Lord each day. What's significant about these lambs is that the law specified they were to be two male lambs without defect. These daily sacrifices were the basis for Israel's communion with God. Our Lord Jesus Christ came into this world as the Lamb of God. He came to offer himself as a sin offering for his people. Isaiah speaks about the coming Messiah being a lamb in chapter 53. He writes, "All oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Isaiah says that he was pierced For our oppressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord made his life a guilt offering. You see, Isaiah prophesies about the Messiah being a lamb whom God would make an offering for sins. Our reading from Isaiah 53 about Jesus being led as a sheep to the slaughter is quoted in Acts 8. An angel of the Lord commanded Philip to meet the Ethiopian eunuch on the road to Gaza. The eunuch is reading about Isaiah's prophecy, but he does not understand who it is speaking about. Philip tells him that it is speaking about the Christ, who had died on the cross and been raised again. It's indisputable proof. The Lamb spoken about in Isaiah 53 is our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. To do so, he had to be able to cover our sins with a sacrifice that was acceptable to God. Just as the law specified that a lamb had to be without defect to be offered up as an offering to the Lord, so Christ had to be free from sin to be able to offer his body and blood on the cross. And so we see why Christ had to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. His unique conception and birth were necessary for him to be the sinless sacrifice demanded by God for our sins. Christ came into this world with purpose. The writer of Hebrews explains in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, He says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Here, the writer of Hebrews uses two key key words to describe why Christ came in human flesh. The first is to destroy. Jesus came to destroy the power of a tyrant who held mankind in slavery, namely the devil. The second word is to deliver. Jesus came to set his people free. That was the purpose of his incarnation, of his coming in the flesh. Jesus came as our mediator to cover our sins with his perfect sacrifice. This brings us to our second point, and we'll consider why Christ took on our flesh, so that we would be like him. The natural state of mankind after the fall into sin was not good. We were sinners who deserved the just judgment of God. We deserved to have him pour out his wrath on us because of our sins. We deserve to suffer the everlasting punishment of body and soul. And that was not our only problem. We also became corrupt. Although we were made very good in God's image and likeness, we became very bad. Our catechism points to the fact that we were all conceived and born in sin. It's not something that we often stop to consider. For us, part of the natural cycle of life often includes getting married and having children. For us, the conception and birth of a child means that life goes on. That the generations continue. And for the Lord, every conception and birth brings forth another sinful human being who will grieve him with much evil. Every birth brings forth another sinner who is unfit for God's service. Please consider God's perspective on man after the fall into sin. Genesis 6 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, continually In Genesis 8, the Lord says he will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. David confesses in Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Paul speaks in Ephesians 2 about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So we see the desperate situation caused by our sin. Before birth, we're already totally corrupt and inclined to all evil. And after our birth, our sins just multiply. Our sinful nature produces all kinds of sins in us. Again, a reading from Hebrews 2 speaks about how Christ came to deliver us from our sinful state. It speaks about how Christ's task on earth was to bring many sons to glory. To do this, Christ had to make payment for our sins so God would turn his wrath away from us, that instead he would grant us his blessings. The writer of Hebrews speaks about how we were made right with God. He says that Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. What we need to understand is that the priests in the Old Testament represented a man before God. The high priest wore an ephod of gold on which were fastened two stones bearing the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. And thus, the high priest offered sacrifices on behalf of all the people of God. Christ became man, so he might bear our names on his shoulders. As our true high priest, he is clothed with his own perfect righteousness, which he presents on our behalf. He went forth as our representative, offering his precious blood to atone for our sins. Christ died to pay the debt of our sin. His work was one of propitiation, turning God's wrath away from us because of our sins. Peter reflects on this beautiful truth in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. He says that we were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish, spot, Because of Christ's perfect innocence and holiness, the sacrifice of his body was acceptable to God. Because he was born unstained by sin and corruption, he could offer up his life for ours. Paying for our sins in order to turn God's wrath away from us is only part of Christ's salvation work. We also need to be sanctified. We need to be made holy through Christ. Hebrews 2 verse 11 speaks of Christ who sanctifies or who makes people holy. And it speaks of those who are sanctified or made holy, referring to us. Christ's work of saving us thus consists of more than just delivering us from our sins, He also renews us by His Spirit. He makes us holy. He sets us apart for service to God. Paul speaks about this in the first verses of Romans 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. As God's redeemed and renewed people, we are to show forth our thankfulness to God for his wondrous works by living holy lives to his glory. Beloved Christ's work for us is beautifully summarized in Lord's Day 23. It gives us a A rich perspective on who we are in Christ. Question 60 of the Catechism asks, How are you righteous before God? It says, Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscience accuses me that I've grievously sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and am still inclined to all evil. Yet God without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, the righteousness and holiness of Christ. Let's stop there for a moment. We'll continue with the rest of this answer in a minute. Note the very important point that God credits us with the perfect satisfaction, the righteousness and the holiness of Christ. In other words, Christ's Payment is mine. Christ's righteousness, His uprightness is mine. His holiness, His sinlessness is mine. The rest of answer 60 explains the result of that. It tells us of how God now views us, how He accepts us in Christ. Answer 60 continues. God grants these to me as if I had never committed any sin. And as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me. In other words, God's perspective on us has completely changed. He doesn't view us as corrupt sinners who deserve damnation. No, God views us as holy and righteous people. How do we make these blessings our own? Answer 60 says, If only I accept this gift with a believing heart. And so we see, beloved, how Christ was made like us so that we would be like Him. Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Although God, he humbled himself and became a man. He took on our flesh and blood so he could present himself as a sinless offering to God. He shared in our humanity so that by his death he might destroy the power of Satan who held us in slavery. Christ came to deliver us, to set us free. That was the purpose of his incarnation, of his coming in human flesh. Christ came as our mediator to cover our sins with his perfect sacrifice. The consequence is that in Christ we are a new creation. We've once more been made fit for service. We've been clothed with the righteousness and the holiness of Christ. We've been set free from the mastery of sin and Satan in our lives. By Christ's Spirit, we've been raised up to walk in newness of life. We've been enabled to live our lives to God's glory. Do you see yourself as a new creation in Christ? Do you offer up your body as a living sacrifice of thankfulness to God? Or are you being conformed to the ways of this world and living as pagans do? Do you repeatedly give in to sinful, fleshly desires? Doing what you want, what feels good to you, what gives you pleasure. That, beloved, is the pathway of sin. It leads to destruction. It's not the right way. For those whom Christ has redeemed by his blood and renewed by his spirit. Beloved, we should not have a defeatist attitude in our battle against the desires of our flesh. We're not helpless. We need not be afraid. There's a reason why we may be confident in our battle against the desires of the flesh. Jesus Christ is Lord and King of our lives. He sent His Spirit to live in us. Almighty God now resides in our hearts. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. By the power and might of our Savior, we can stand strong in the battle against our sinful flesh. With Paul, we confess, I have been crucified with Christ It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. With Paul, we say, I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. As we walk in the ways of the Spirit, our lives will more and more reflect the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is this fruit reflected in your life? Can the people who live with you and work with you see that you're a Christian, ruled by Christ, guided by His Spirit, Our Lord Jesus Christ has made it possible for us to bring forth this kind of fruit. He's renewed us by His Holy Spirit and made us fit for this kind of service. Know who you are in Christ, beloved. The Lord Jesus came into this world to rescue us from the dominion of darkness, to give us new life in Him. If you believe the gospel message... Your sins have been paid for. Your life transformed. Walk in close communion with your God. Love Him and do His will. That is the pathway to glory. Remember Christ's purpose in coming into this world. It was to bring all those who belong to God's family to glory. Christ has gone on ahead of us. All who are in him will one day share in the glory of everlasting life. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel by rising and singing hymn 25 stanzas, five and seven.